Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. Today we are in Revelation chapter 12. Now we saw chapters 10 and 11 as a, a break, an interlude in the midst of the seven trumpets that the seven angels would blow. And now we have really another kind of interlude, although we'll just call it a pause here, in between the second and third sets of seven. So you had the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and now we've got a three-chapter break before we come to the seven censers or the seven bowls that we'll see starting in chapter 15. Now, so we're going to read this text from chapter 12 together here today. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, to sweep away, to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Now, in this break, this set of three chapters, 12 through 14, what, what you're really seeing is, is God giving John the reason why. So why the seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls? Why all of this? Uh, grief on the earth, why all of this suffering, and it comes here to us, we see it in what is going to be the battle between Christ and Satan, and in the later two chapters, the battle between the church and the two beasts. Um, so a 
foreshadow, I guess, a, a spoiler for you here. The two beasts are a political beast and a religious beast, but we'll get to those. Those aren't today. So what we see here then is this battle between Christ and the devil. And it is this battle, the sin that is in the world, and the devil's working and fighting against the, the church that is going to cause so much of the chaos that we've seen in those, those sets of seven, those cycles. Now, this text today, what is our goal? What's the main focus that you want to take away from here? It, it is indeed to focus on, on the devil's attempt to destroy the church. Well, first to destroy the Christ, and when he fails at that, then to destroy the church. And when he fails at that, then he starts to attack individuals within the church to destroy whatever he can. So the devil seeks to destroy, but Christ is victorious. That's the theme of the text that you want to keep at the forefront as you try and study through all the, the strange details, uh, strange in our minds, as Revelation is filled with so much imagery. So first, image-wise, we have uh, a woman in heaven. Clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars. This woman is the faithful woman. Now, we can singularly point to Mary here, but it's bigger than just Mary. Mary, we look to Mary first, but then see Mary as the representation, the figure of the church. So you have, and you're going to see this, the Old Testament first. So she only has 12 stars on her head. And that number 12 is a symbol of the church. We've had the 24 elders several times in the book so far. And so she's got the 12 stars, and that symbolizes the Old Testament church. But when you go later down into the text, as things are progressing and the devil starts to turn his attack, um, then it becomes the New Testament church that she represents. So we're going to see that a little bit as we move through the text. You can focus on those kinds of things. Glory is the idea of the sun. Uh, the moon being under her feet indicates dominion. And then again, the crown that's on her head is the, the representation of the church. It is interesting to note that she is not these things. She is not the sun. She's not the glory. She is not the, the one who has ultimately the dominion uh, per se, but that it has been given to her because Christ is in her. Because of Christ, she has his glory. She has his dominion. That's uh, an important note here. She is clothed just like the martyrs have been clothed in white. And that was Jesus that forgave them the blood of the lamb. They washed their garments in the blood of the lamb back in, I think that was chapter 7. So she's pregnant, about to give birth, and now the devil comes to fight against. Uh, so you get a great red dragon. Back in chapter 6, verse 4, um, the the color red was used to represent bloodshed in the seven seals. Now this dragon has seven heads and seven crowns and ten horns. And this is his attempt at reigning over the earth. So seven is the, the number of perfect. So a perfect reign uh, for the head, the, you know, the thinking, uh, his ability to control others. His power in the horns, ten is a number of completeness. Jesus, back in chapter 5, verse 6, as the, the lamb had seven horns, which actually in this case, seven would be better than ten. Seven is perfection, while ten is completeness. So Jesus, ultimately better in his power than the devil is. And then, again, the seven crowns as well. So the devil is deceptive in trying to pretend that he rules over the earth, when in fact, 
Christ is the one who rules over creation. Now, verse 4, his tail sweeps down a third of the stars of heaven. That's a reference to the rebellion of not just the devil, but also some of the angels as well. You might take this number literally, uh, that literally one-third of the angels God created have rebelled against him. But as with other fractions in the book of Revelation, we don't, we don't see the need to do that. Uh, it would simply be the number letting us know that a, it's not the majority of angels, but it's still a significant amount of them uh, that God had created to do his, to serve him and to, to care for his creation as well in the ways specific to angels, giving messengers, etc. Now with verse four as well, uh, the devil standing, the dragon standing before Mary in the church as she tries to give birth to Jesus. You can ask your children here, what are some of the ways that the devil tried to kill Jesus even when he was little? There are several um, that, that you could talk about, really even starting while he was still in the womb, as you know, Joseph is thinking of divorcing Mary, casting her aside. Um, Joseph, trying to be a, an honorable man about the whole process, wanted to do so quietly. Why quietly? Well, if she had committed adultery against him, uh, then, then the punishment would have been death for that crime. So he spares her of that. That would have been one way that the devil might have tried to thwart the Christ. Another is the attempt of King Herod to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem. Uh, I mean, you can see other attempts in Jesus' ministry as well, where the devil before the cross, already is trying to kill Jesus and, and thwart this plan of God. But doesn't work. Jesus is going to be the one who rules and reigns over creation. We see that in verse 5. That's a reference to his ascension, that he ascends into heaven, into the throne room of God. And the woman uh, flees. So the church flees and is nourished for three and a half years. That's the same length of time that we saw with the church being trampled before, as well as the, the length of time the witnesses in the previous chapter bore witness. So this is a reference to the church. And again, the, the time period of three and a half years, we should understand is the time between the ascension of Jesus and his second coming. Battle arises in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. I've got a neat picture of that in my on, on my wall uh, at my house that I, I like. Anyway, um, it's a, a powerful scene here. There's no longer any place for them in heaven. We don't normally think of the devil working from heaven. I think pop culture even in the past, pop culture wouldn't care today, but pop culture in the past probably taught us to think the devil works from hell, um, which is interesting. The Bible doesn't necessarily talk that way. In Job, both chapter 1 and 2, we see the devil working right there in heaven, talking to God directly. And then you see a similar thing in Zechariah chapter 3. So the question becomes, when does this fight happen? When is the devil kicked out of heaven so that he and his, his demons can no longer work there? And the answer to that was back in verse 5, when Jesus, the child, is caught up to God in his throne. It is at the ascension of Christ, when Christ assumes his reign on the throne, the devil is no longer allowed to be there. Now, the question of why is interesting. It's actually picked up here in these verses as the devil is thrown down. Verse 10, the celebration. 
the the one celebrating says that the accuser of our brothers has been thrown thrown down. I mean, picture this: the devil stands before God, accusing. That's his that's his power. He accuses of our sin. He has that power over us. He tries to keep us guilty in our sins. So he comes before the Lord and he says, "You, your child, this person did this." Like he said with Job, "Do they really love you?" So that's his goal. And he was fighting against Christ because what does Christ say in God's presence? I mean, you can almost picture this as the the prosecuting attorney and the defense attorney in a courtroom. As the devil is there trying to accuse you of your sin, Christ is there to forgive you of your sin. And so you can ask your children this. What, you know, the devil goes before God and, and tries to accuse you, tries to tell God about your sins. But when Jesus goes before God, what does he say about you? And that's the one that wins out. And see, because Christ has done this, because of the cross of Christ and the forgiveness of sins that we have in him, and now he has ascended into heaven, the devil's accusations are no longer true. Yes, they were true in the past. I, I am a sinner. I have done these terrible things, and we could list them off. I won't on the podcast, but you know, we confess our sins before the Lord. In the past, the devil was true and right to hold those things over us and to bring them as a case before the Lord and say, your child sinned in this way. But now, now those accusations are false. Because even though, yes, we committed the sin, Christ has forgiven the sin. It is no longer before us. It is no longer on our our court records, however you want to phrase that. I don't know. Our, Our permanent record. It's gone. It's been forgiven. So the devil is now a false accuser, and he has been cast from heaven because of it. He no longer stands before the, th- the throne of the Lord accusing you of sin. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. The accusations against you are gone. You are free to be a child of the Lord. How are they conquered? Uh, they've conquered the devil by the blood of the Lamb, so by Christ and his cross and his forgiveness for us, and by the word of their testimony that they loved not their lives even to death. So that's a reference to the martyrs being faithful, even willing to die um, instead of clinging to to this this sinful world. It is the, the blood of Christ that conquered the devil. And now ongoingly, because of the blood of Christ, the faithfulness of the martyrs, the faithfulness of the church continues to thwart the devil in his schemes, uh, which is fun to think about. So verse 12, the heavens are told to rejoice because of what this means, but also the earth to, uh, well, woe to the earth. And you could include the church maybe in this idea because we are seeing, again, the seven seals and trumpets and bowls. We are involved in this. We are suffering at this time. The devil knows his time is short and he is he is wrathful. He is lashing out all over the place um, in his rage. Now, as we get to the last paragraph of the text today, when the devil realizes his attack against Christ has failed, he goes after Mary, he goes after the church. Um, But, as, you know, verse 14, so Mary fled to Egypt with Joseph and with Jesus. The church, as we had mentioned up there in verse 6, the church has, has fled to the place prepared for us. 
I didn't really pick up a commentary talking about that one too much. We might talk about that as being almost being the gathering now that we are, we come together as God's people where we receive his word and sacraments, a place where the devil might try to fight us against us, but we are nourished instead. So nourished by word and sacrament is a big, big thing we want to pick up on there. Time is one times is plural two and half a time. One plus two plus 0.5 equals 3.5. So you've got that same three and a half years um, that we've had referenced several times now in the book of Revelation. This is, again, the time between the ascension of Christ into heaven and when he comes back on the last day. So realizing that even creation was helping to defend the church, Jesus said it himself. Uh, He would build his church on the confession that he is the Christ and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so here, even though the devil's fighting against the church, he has failed, he has not conquered it, and he has come to realize he cannot destroy the woman. And so he's now instead turned his gaze, turned his attacks on her offspring. That is on the individual children of the Lord, thinking that while he cannot destroy the church, he may at least be able to take some of us out. So the idea that together, gathered as the church, which is what church in Greek is, it's ekklesia, called out. And if you're called out of something, you're called together somewhere else. Uh, So we are gathered together as the church. It is outside of that gathering that the devil fights, um, works so desperately against us as he knows his time is short. So we are safeguarded in the blood of the Lamb. We are his, we are nourished, and ultimately Christ is victorious. Thank you.